Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. 29th chapter of Genesis. We'll start out in verse 17. What's taking place here in this story is Jacob has deceived Isaac, his father, and has fled because of it. And he has fled to Laban, his mother's brother's house. And he's coming onto the scene now where he is about to see Rachel, a woman that he's going to fall in love with. In verse 17, it says, Leah was tender-eyed. Now, I don't know what tender-eyed means, and I don't want to be tender-eyed. You keep caught by her. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. So Jacob sees Rachel, bypasses Leah, who is the oldest daughter, sees Rachel, and immediately falls in love with her. Stays 30 days there at Laban's house and then tells him, I'm in love with your daughter. I'll work for you for seven years if you will allow me to marry her. Now how many guys here are willing to work seven years for someone's hand in marriage? Not too many days, not too many guys in society will work seven weeks, let alone seven days to marry somebody today. But Jacob was prepared to work for seven years for the hand of Rachel. He loved her that much. At the typology of us in Christ, Christ loved us so much that he would have been willing to hang on that cross for seven years if it took to atone us for our sins. That's the love that Christ has for us, the love that Jacob had for Rachel, that he would work seven years. Christ, they can beat me, they can kick me, they can spit on me, they can hang me on this cross, they can thrust a spear in my side, they can put a crown of thorns on my head, but I love Mark Heppenstall so much, I'm going to go through this. And that's how Jacob was for Rachel at this point. He loved her so much, it didn't matter. When you go down to verse 20, it says, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had for her. Now, how many in here are married today? How many here are married? How many remember when you first laid eyes on your spouse? Well, you might not have loved her when you first, I'm not going to say you fell in love with her. It might have taken some time before you fell in love with her. But was there ever a point, obviously, if you, if you thought enough to ask her to marry you, that you were so much in love with her that you got down on your knee or did whatever you do they do today? Seems like today everybody wants to videotape everything and try to make money off it. But however it was, at some point you fell so much in love with your wife that you asked her to marry you. You didn't have to wait seven years to marry her, but you asked her to marry you. And in Jacob's case, he was so in love with Rachel... And it said those seven years were just but a few days in his mind. Hard labor of work with sheep. He was a shepherd. Laban had sheep. That's what his, his income was. So seven years he worked on the house. He worked with the sheep. And he did that because his love was so great for this woman. And at the end of the seven years, he said, you know what? It was seven years, but it just seems like a few days to me. Because my love for this woman is that great. How many felt that much love for your wife the day you married her? Would you have been willing if her father would have walked in on that day and said, You know what, Bob? I know you want to marry Betty, and I know you love her, but I'm going to have to ask you to wait seven more years to do it. And during that seven years, I want you to come and I want you to work at my house. How many men today in today's society would be willing to do that? And I know what you're sitting there thinking, Well, today's society is different from back then. You know what? Seven years is seven years. Seven years is seven years back then as it is today. 
So Jacob waits the seven years, and now it comes time for the day of his wedding. We look at verses 23 and 24. Verses 23 and 24 says this. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, referring to Laban, and brought her in to him, Jacob. And he went in under her. And Laban gave unto him his daughter Leah, his maid, for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And I know what you're sitting there thinking right now. If he loved this woman so much that he would work seven years for her, how did he not know that this was Leah and not Rachel? Well, when you go and you study the customs of the time, wait, first of all, it was dark. They didn't have electricity. They just couldn't go in and flick a line. It was dark when he went in there. And she had a veil on it. She had, I, I, don't, I don't even know what they call it that they wear. Crystal, you might know what it's called that they wear. Ah, oh, see, man, I, that's the first time I've gone to you for an answer. Yeah, <laughs> but they had all this stuff on, so he goes in and he sleeps with her to consummate the marriage. He has no idea it's Leah until he wakes up in the morning, light comes in the room, and he sees that he has been deceived. He sees that he has been deceived. It's not the woman that he labored for seven years. Now, how many think that Jacob was angry when he came out of that tent? I mean, here the sun shines, you pull back the covers, and you think you're going to see this beautiful woman that you've been laboring for and loving for seven years, and instead, what do you see? Tender-eyed Leah. Poor Leah. Poor Leah. When I think, when I read the story, and I look back at it. But then, you look at Jacob. You look at Jacob's life, and why is he in the position he is in right now? For seven years and 30 days before that, what did Jacob do? Jacob stood before Isaac, his father, who was going blind and put skins on his arms and deceived his very own father in the same way he was now deceived to receive the blessing. So he who deceived now becomes the deceivee, I guess is what you would want to say. But he himself was now deceived. He labored for seven years for the hand of a woman that he was in love with, and it was deception that kept that woman from him, the same deception that brought him to the place he was at. Are you following me on this? Now, when you look here, Jacob has a choice. Jacob has a choice when you're reading the scripture. And Laban said, It must not be now in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for service, which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. So Laban... Turns around and says, in our country, it's custom. You've got to have the old, the older's got to get married first. So now, Jacob, I'm going to give you a choice. If you stay for seven more years, I'm going to give you Rachel. Now, how much love did Jacob have for Rachel that he would say yes? That he would say yes. Now, he didn't have to wait the seven years to have Rachel. He immediately got her after he fulfilled the week. So after he fulfilled that week, he got Rachel, but he had to stay there and work. But the point I'm trying to get to right now is this Jacob had a choice. He could settle, he could settle for Leah, or he could contend for Rachel. And that is the position, people, that the church, universally speaking, is at today. We are settling for what man has for us. We are settling for the, for the small things in the kingdom of God because we don't have the faith, we don't have the desire to contend for the greater things that God has for our life. Can you say amen? We have come to a choice in the universal church today that the universal choice has settled. 
We like seeker-sensitive churches. We like to go where we're going to feel good. We like to walk out there and feel like everything is great, but we don't want to preach the full counsel of the Word of God. And God is saying today, the church is settling for Leah because they don't want to pay the price for Rachel. Rachel was going to cost Jacob 14 years. 14 years and 30 days to be exact is the punishment to Jacob for deceiving his father. That was his punishment. That was his chastisement. That's what he was going to pay for the deception. What will be the chastisement of the church today for the deception that is put on the universal church and the universal church that has settled for it? What will be our punishment? What will be the chastisement that God will bring on his people? And he says clearly in his word that there is no compromise in the kingdom of God. There is no lukewarm Christian. For compromise is sin, and compromise will send your soul to hell. So those that settled for Leah... Instead of contending for Rachel or walking down a path that many as well will walk down as well. For broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads into heaven. Can you say amen? How many here today are settling for Leah because you don't have what it takes to contend for Rachel? You're too comfortable in your life. You like the way things are going right now. You like that your life is centered around your kids. You like that life is centered around your job. You like that life is centered around everything else but God in your life. Because if God becomes the center, if God becomes the focal point in your life, you're going to have to give up something. It's going to cost you. And that cost for Rachel is too great a price. So we settle for Leah. Laban gave Jacob a choice. And the love that he had. The love that he had for Rachel was so great that he stayed the next seven years, church. That's what God wants out of his people today. He wants a love that is so great for him by his people that the cost doesn't matter. What they've got to give up doesn't matter. What they've got to cast out of their life and what they've got to push aside no longer matters to them. Why? Because they're willing to go the next seven years. They're willing to count the cost. They're willing to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. Why? Not because they're going to gain from it, but because the love that they have for the Father is so great. There isn't a parent in this building right now today that probably wouldn't lay down their life for their child. That's how much we love our children. That's how much we love our offspring. I love Jude, Jimmy. Elijah, Jude. Yes, Jude, I love him just as much as I love my other five kids. And I would lay my life down for any one of them if I had to. How many parents here feels the same way? That love that you have for them, that unconditional love, that's the same love that God not only asks us to have for him, but he requires it out of his children. He demands it out of his children. That's the love that he wants. If your child was to come up to you and say, I hate you, how would you feel toward your child? Jimmy was to come up to me and tell me, I hate you. I'd flip that dude over so fast and bust his butt. He wouldn't know what happened. Tell me you hate me, sir. Get back here in the room. We're going to have a talk. If I'm willing to die for somebody, they better not be standing in front of me telling me they hate If not, we're going to have some speech. Can you say amen? But the church today is settling for Leah and pretending she's Rachel. Settling for Leah and pretending she's Rachel. How many here? Repeat that. After. Repeat that. Settling for Leah and pretending that she's Rachel. Right, nobody in here named Rachel. Or Leah. But that's what has happened in the church. We think that we're loving Rachel, but in its essence, we're just like Jacob. We're in the dark. Our eyes are closed. We're no longer paying attention. If Jacob really would have pressed in that night, I believe he would, his mind, if he would have spoke, 
He would have took the time to talk. He would have recognized the voice of his love. He would have recognized the one that he'd been laboring for for seven years. But instead, he's no different than the church today. His eyes were blinded. He had a one-track mind when he went into that room. And it's the same way we are in the church. We're settling for Leah and pretending she's Rachel because we have been blinded by the God of this world and the things of our walk with Christ. We're no longer walking them. We're no longer living them. Why? Because we've settled for Leah. We've settled for the simple. We've settled for the easy way out in our walk with Christ. And that's not what God is asking of his people. He's asking for an unconditional love. A love that says you'll lay down your life for him if need be. Right now, today in the world, there's 25 Christians executed yesterday by ISIS. There are people that love God so much in this world that they're laying their life down for him. Allow those people to walk into this country, walk into the universal church, a standard church in America today with their guns and their masks on, and how many are going to run out the door, and how many are going to get down on their knees and say, take my life this day. I love him that much. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be a martyr to prove your love for God. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, do you love him that much? Do you love Rachel that much that you would work 14 more years? in hard labor, to achieve that, that God has for you, to receive all that he has for you, to receive it all. Why do we settle? Why do we settle on our time? Why do we settle on our marriage? Why do we settle on our walk with Christ? Why do we settle on our jobs? Why do we settle? Because it's an easier route to take. We don't sit there and we don't set goals for ourselves spiritually. Yes, you should set goals for yourself spiritually, and as you attain them and that goal is in God's will, you begin to grow as a Christian. It's like the little boy that at that time that used to stand back with the bow and arrow and he'd shoot at the wall. And the bow and arrow would stick into the and the arrow would stick into the wall. And they would go up and they would draw a big circle around it and then paint a bullseye right where the arrow hit. And then he would run out and he'd call his mom and dad and say, Look, I hit the bullseye. <laughs> See, he was just shooting at a wall. He didn't have a target in mind. Anybody can hit a wall in your walk with Christ, but put a bullseye on that wall and then shoot and see how close you come to achieving that which God has for you in his will. Do you love him enough to do that? We get so caught up in our own lives that we settle for the Leah that God has placed in our life, that the devil has placed in our life. We settle for the Leah's, and we let the Rachel's walk right on past us. And there's so much more to Rachel than there will ever be to the Leah's in our life. But we don't care because we're content. We're content with what we have. We're, well, you know what? It might not be all God has for me, but I, I, I can settle with it. How many remember the commercials that used to be on TV where they had the people, and I remember the, the little kid would say, someday I'm going to work my way all the way up to middle management. You ever remember that commercial was on TV? And all these people are basically saying they're for these young kids, their goals they have in life, and it's all just to be mediocre. Well, you know, in the physical sense, there, there might be stipulations, and a lot of times there are things that are put on people that keep people going forward. But in the kingdom of God, there is nothing that God has restricted his children with. We restrict ourselves. God doesn't restrict us. Amen. We restrict ourselves. Walt Disney was fired from his job when he first started out because they said he did not have a good enough creative mind. He didn't have an imagination. Steve Jobs was fired because he didn't have a vision. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team because he wasn't tall enough 
or didn't have the skills that were necessary to compete. But these people didn't settle for the Leahs in their life that put them down. But instead, they pressed in, they pressed on, they overcame the Leahs and grasped the Rachels that were there. Can you say amen? What is it in your life that you've allowed to stop you where you're at, to keep you from going on, to keep you from achieving? You stopped after seven years. You stopped after that thing because you became content in your walk with God. You became content with what you had. You no longer care for what's more. You no longer press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, I press on. I will not be content in my walk with God ever because the moment I become content, I become complacent. The moment I become complacent, God quits moving through me. And God should never quit moving through us. We should always be in a process of progression, going forward, building our faith through the process of sanctification, reading our Bible, praying daily. And as we grow, the obstacles become bigger. But now we become bigger as well in our faith, and we overcome those obstacles to the point where you get to the point where you're standing there, you're standing next to your Rachel at the great white throne judgment, and he's saying, enter in thy good and faithful servant. You press toward the mark. You've done all that I said to do. Enter on into my glory. How many want to enter into his glory today? But are you prepared to serve the extra seven years to get it? The church is so busy pretending, we quit intending. As it says in Jude chapter, in Jude verse 3, there's only one chapter in Jude, Jude verse 3, it says, always contending for the faith. Always contending for the faith, not pretending for the faith. It says, contending for the faith. When you sell from Leah, you become a pretender. How many remember that song way, way back in Bob's time, The Great Pretenders? You remember that song, Bob? I'd ask you to sing it, but I don't think you would. But the church today has become the great pretender. We come into the house of God, and when I say the church today, you all know that I ain't talking about you. Right? You all know what I'm talking about every other church out there but this one. But the church today has gotten to the point where we live our lives Monday through Saturday however we want to. We argue with our spouses, yell and scream at them, we walk through the house with a bad attitude, come through there kicking things, giving the cold shoulder to, to our loved ones because we're not happy with the way things went at the job or, or in whatever it is, our, our kid didn't make a sports team or whatever it might be. Whatever it is, we're upset about it. We might have a headache, allergies are bothering us, didn't get along enough now, whatever it is. We walk through the door of our house with a chip on our shoulder. We carry that attitude through the week and rubs off on everybody else in the house. And then Sunday we walk in the house of God and smile and everybody and shake their hands and tell them great God. I'll tell you something. The way you walk through the door of this church on Sunday morning is the way you should walk through the door of your house every day. And if you're not doing that, you're not contending, you're pretending. Because everybody in this building and everybody in churches across the country might not see you when you walk into your house. But God does. <laughs> so you're faking me out. I know you're faking Jessica out. <laughs> you aren't faking God out. God sees everything you do. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. Pastor Cowan knows you're going to have a bad day. Pastor Cowan knows you're going to see. I, I have a bad day. I mean, I have to, if I if I happen to doze off in the afternoon and wake up, I'm a bear. I do not take naps because when I wake up, I'm in a bad mood. And the boys will run through the house to the room, Mad Dad's up, get out, get out of the way. 
because I, I've gotten to the point where I just, and if you got to the point, what about me? Well, I'm waiting up there now. Now I got a license. They expect that. Thursday and Friday, husbands come through the house all worried because their wife's been at work all week, and they know come Thursday or Friday, it's war on her. Now she's going to be upset when she comes through the door. It shouldn't be like that. That's your Rachel sitting in the house. That's that love of your life. The one you stood at the altar with her before a judge or or in Las Vegas, or wherever it was you stood with that individual, that's the person you love. That's your soulmate. That's the person that God gave you to take on the enemy with. That's the person that God blessed you and then blessed you even more with children if you have children. God blessed you with that individual and God's saying, why are you settling with Leah in your marriage when I've got a Rachel for you? I've got so much for the two of you. If you do as my word says and you come together as one, you can put a thousand to flight. And I don't know why I'm talking about marriage right now. It's not in my notes. But God's saying, embrace your Rachel. Women, embrace your Jacob that he's given you. Just because you had a bad day at work doesn't give you a license to have a bad attitude when you get home. Give the Lord a praise all. Me in Matthew chapter 7. How many have heard the story of the Emperor's New Road? How many know that story? The Emperor, nobody's heard that story of the Emperor's New Road. See, now you're raising your hand. All right. There was an emperor, and he, he went into town and he commissioned all, what do they call somebody that makes clothes? Tailor. Tailor. And he goes to this tailor and he says, Make me a new road. So the tailor sits down. He doesn't come up with anything. He doesn't make anything. He walks into the emperor's chambers. And he said, I have this robe for you. And he's holding nothing in his hand. And the emperor kind of, kind of looks at him, but doesn't say anything. He says, the thing is with this robe, you have to be very smart and intelligent and knowledgeable in order to see it. If you're not smart, intelligent, and knowledgeable, you won't be able to see the robe that I'm holding in my hand. So the emperor looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, I can see it. And he, call, he goes and he puts on the robe, which is nothing, and he calls all the suspects in, all the, all the people in his chamber in, and he goes, do you like the robe that I have on? You can only see it if you're smart and intelligent. And all these people, oh, yes, it's beautiful. Look at the robe, because nobody wants to be the dummy in the robe. And so they have a parade in town, and he goes in, and all he puts on now is this robe that he thinks he can see, but he doesn't want to say anything because he doesn't want anybody to think he's stupid. And he goes walking through the town, and the word had spread that if you couldn't see the robe, you were not intelligent, you were dumb and stupid. So everybody's just falling all over and saying how beautiful this robe is that he has on as he's walking through the town. And this little boy, probably Elijah, walks up to him and starts laughing at him and says, you don't have any clothes on. And all of a sudden, everybody in the town busts out laughing because they don't see it either. And he looks down and realizes that he, did, he had been deceived by this tailor in town. And that's what happened to Jacob with Leah. He was deceived. That's what's happening in the church today. They're being deceived. They think they've got a robe of righteousness on, and really they've got nothing on. They're standing there cold, naked, and blind, as the Bible says, and they're walking through this world in sin and destruction, and everything is all around them. But they think they're so smart, they've settled for Leah, and they're falling away from God. Can you say amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Settling for Leah in our lives, spiritual lives, is spiritual compromise. The spiritual compromise. And when you begin to compromise yourself spiritually, he's going to say, depart from me, I knew you not. Turn with me to the book of Revelation in the second chapter. Revelation, the second chapter. Verse, actually, Revelation chapter 3. I'm thinking about chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The Leahs that are in the church are lukewarm, church. They're lukewarm. They've settled for what the enemy has lied to them and told them that God has for them. They've settled. They're no longer pursuing the love of God. They're no longer pursuing their love. They're no longer pursuing Rachel. They've settled. Because of that, they're neither hot nor cold, but they're lukewarm. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Revelation 2 and 4. Where does God want us at? Revelation 2, 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Go back to the beginning part of that, and do the first works. Remember from where thou hast fallen, repent and do the first works. He wants us to return back to our first love. Did you see when I read that about the first love? Let me read that again. <coughs> because thou hast left thy first love. Thy first love was Rachel. Jacob's first love was Rachel. He settled for Leah, but for a moment. He could have stayed where he was at, and he would have been lukewarm. And he wouldn't have had all that God had for him. So what did he do? He went to Laban and he returned to his first love. After one week, he returned to his first love and he got his Rachel. Church, if you're sitting here today and you settled for Leah in your life, whether it be spiritually or physically, God's telling you right now, return back to your first love. There was a moment where you came to Christ, where you got on your hands and knees and you asked him into your heart. You asked him to cleanse you of your sins. You asked him to, to become your Lord and Savior. But since that day, you've fallen to the wayside a little bit. You've given up things in your life, and then you've taken them back on. And God's saying, return to thy first love. Return to thy first works, as the Scripture says. Return to your Rachel. Because if you don't, it says he will spew thee out of your mouth, out of his mouth. As we've read in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 29, and I'm just about done. Back to the chapter we were in. I 
29, verse 30. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Church, when you move past Leah, when you quit settling for what the enemy told you God has for you, and you move past the Leah in your life, and you get to Rachel, you're going to love Rachel more than you ever thought of loving Leah. The love that you thought you had in your life for Leah is going to pale in comparison. You read what it says there in verse 30. Verse 30 it says, And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah. Church, when you get past that point, and you're no longer content with Leah, and you go into Rachel, you're going to love her far more than you ever loved that which was before. Can you say amen? Amen. What's the message today, Brother Cal? The message is this. Have you settled? Are you content with where you are spiritually? Have you given up the vision of the church? Have you given up the dream, the plan that God has for your life? Have you stepped out of his will and entered into his permissive will because you no longer have the patience for his perfect will? How many here know the difference between permissive and perfect will? That God has a will for your life. Okay? From the beginning, God has a will, a plan for your life. And the choices we make and the decisions we make can alter that will. Because of whether it be a dumb choice, it's, well, I'm going to tell you this, if God's perfect will is to make every single choice that God wants us to make and to stay in his will throughout our entire life. That's God's perfect will for our life. That's why it's perfect. Well, let me tell you something. None of us are going to make the perfect decision every single time. So now we have God's permissive will. And basically what that means is perfect will gets you from point A to point B in a direct line. Permissive will is going to take you all over the place because you decided to do what you wanted to do before you got there. Say amen. amen. That's the difference between permissive will and perfect will. Now, there are those that are way out. They're not even in the will. Those are people that are hanging on a leaf because they forgot how beautiful Rachel was. They forgot how beautiful that love was. They no longer have that picture. They no longer have that vision. They no longer have that sideline. So they're content with Leah. And God's saying, come back to me. Come back to my face. Come back to my presence. Come back to my glory. I'm still the Rachel that I always was. Put in the time. It's going to cost you. There's going to be a price. But when you get here, you're going to love it so much more than you've ever loved that before. And you're not going to want to leave it once you get here. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's all stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. You might be here this morning, and you might be saying, Pastor Allen, I'm tired of having Leah in my life. I'm tired of settling for that which the world has told me is all I need. But today, Brother Cowan, today, I want to serve seven more years. I'm willing and I'm prepared to go the extra mile so that I can see the Rachel that you have for me this day, God. I want my Rachel. I want my perfect will. I want to be the one, God. I want to be the one that comes into you and never leaves and never goes back to the Lee in my life because I've experienced your presence. I've experienced your glory. I've experienced you. That's what God wants today. If that's you this day, I want you to raise your hand. 
I want you to raise your hand. If you're saying, Brother Callan, I want my Rachel. Hands going up all over the place. You can put your hands down. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this day, Father. Oh, Lord, Father God, thanking you, Lord, for the message for the body today, Lord. Lord, we no longer want to be stuck. We want to be stuck, Lord, with the Leah in our life that Satan has lied to us and told us and has told us that we need to settle for. But yet, God, we want to serve. We want to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. We want to go past the Leah in our life, Lord, and we want to press in until we get to that, Rachel, God. We want to get to the place where we see your face, where we sense your presence, when we know that you are there, Lord God, because we know that once we get to that point, we're never going to return back to that which we have. Lord, don't ever allow us to become content. Don't ever allow us to get to the place, God, where, we, where we're happy and we're satisfied where we're at and we no longer want to press in, God, because with complacency comes lukewarmness, comes compromise, God. And that's not what we want in our life. That's not what we need. We can't handle compromise right now, Lord, because we know that the day cometh quickly when you're going to call your bride home. Lord God, give us the strength, the desire, the courage, Lord, the burden, the passion in our heart, Lord, to press in, to press on, and to continue to go forth, Lord. It might have been seven years for Jacob, God, and for us this day, it might be 10, 12, 13 years, or it might be 10, 12, 15 minutes, God, whatever it might be, Lord, give me the passion, God, to press in, to press toward the mark to all you have for me, not for what the world says you have for me, God but all that you have for me, Lord. For God, your word says that I am a joint heir through Christ Jesus, and all that is in the kingdom is mine. And that's what we want this day, Lord. And we give you the glory, we give you the honor, God, we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Jerry, will you close in a word of prayer today? Thank you for opening our hearts and our minds and our souls, Lord, to receive your message. We thank you, Lord, that you have been with us today, giving us new strength to go forth in this day. We pray that you be with each one of us as we go our separate ways, giving us peace, strength, and love. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Don't forget, 6 o'clock tonight, Sean Hayes will be here. Have a great afternoon.